Welcome to the fellowship. I am Adam Hawk, joined by the star of Instagram. He's not an influencer, <laughs> just a bad influence, Mr. <laughs> Ryan Engel. Ryan, it's an honor to have you considering the heater you're on on Instagram right now. How are you doing today? Star? <laughs> Fuck. Well, I mean, if anyone has seen your last three videos from your Tips from the Tips account, the Metal Arc Reel, the Vintage Tip about hitting it on the screws, and most recently, the What's in the Bag, everyone would agree with me calling you a star. They say anyone can write a hit. The hard part is doing it twice. And it's safe to say you're the Pete Rose of IG right now. It's just a hit parade. <laughs> How does it feel to have a social media platform wrapped around your finger right now? <laughs> you know what's funny is two of those things were on ice we get through the weeks here and I'm like, oh shit, I got to like uh, put something out there. And I put my little thumbs together on this stupid little device that we all carry in our pockets, put those clips together. And what's even more funny, you, re- you can rewind even further. When we're out there that day, we're almost done with the round. There's like two holes left. And I was like, ah, fuck, I better like grab a couple clips of God knows what, no plan in sight. Somehow, some way, I just pulled that thing out of my ass, set it to music as they say in the business. I'm not a star, and I'm not good at any of this. What I am is really fucking lucky. (laughs) I love it. That's it. I love it. Anyone listening who isn't following Tips from the Tips, head on over there. Explore the back catalog. It's all evergreen. Great life advice. I think you call yourself a life coach in your Instagram bio, which is Hmm. hilarious. And uh, what is it? Life lessons from the back tees? Yeah. Perfect. So go check out Tips from the Tips. He's on an absolute heater right now. Look, shaky and contentious start to the morning here at Nation Golf. I will be the first to admit that I probably wear a little bit of blame or a lot of bit of blame with it. But I want to introduce you to a word that you may or may not be familiar with. Cat seritophobia. Are you familiar with that word? What? Cat seritophobia. Catseritophobia. If you had to guess, what would you think catseritophobia is? You're afraid of cats? Catseritophobia is the fear of cockroaches. I am self-diagnosed with catseritophobia. And today, when I entered the premises, excited to get to work, I encountered one too many of these bugs, and I took out a little bit of that aggression in the text chain that you and I had. Sorry, I I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to open and enjoy this rolling rock. Latrobe, Pennsylvania's finest. So what about cats, Travobia? Cats, Aritophobia is the fear of cockroaches. And you and I had a text exchange this morning where I believe I said, I hate working here. I think you told me to go home, take that bad attitude, that bad energy, and go home. This was 8 in the morning. You normally show up at 9. I show up around 7.30, and I just told you I'm sick of being an exterminator. How many did you did you have to dump this morning? Two. Two. But there were more that I just couldn't get to. I couldn't bring myself to get to it. Copper. There was one more. So yeah. a total of three. Three. And that's three too many for people that are paying top dollar to work in San Clemente. And you've done a wonderful job remodeling the showroom. I would interject and just say top dollar. We're probably in the cheapest spot in San Clemente, Okay, to be honest. Yeah, but anything right now feels like top dollar. What isn't expensive? Okay, so I don't want to come to a sanctuary, a place that perpetuates and deals in good vibes and big dreams of making a small business into a big business and have to deal with this shit. So- 
I freaked out on you over uh, the text messages. I apologize for that. I hadn't said sorry yet, so I will say sorry now. You are dealing with an insane person who has catzeritophobia, and I apologize. Tell me something I don't know. Okay. Apology <laughs> accepted? Yes or no? Oh, of course. Okay. The apology was accepted when I told you to shut the fuck up. All right. Very good. <laughs> Let's knock out the dirty work right now so we can move on and put this professional golf season behind us because as far as we are concerned, <laughs> pro golf ends <laughs> when the majors end. Victor Hovland is your FedEx Cup champion. He joins an illustrious list of winners. That includes Billy Horschel, Brant <laughs> Snedeker, and Bill Haas. Yeah. So good for Victor getting his name on the same trophy as Horschel, Snedeker, and Haas. Look, I'll say it. Golf never needed playoffs, and it still doesn't, and it never will. As long as the majors exist, this bastardized version of a championship in air quotes will never mean anything no matter how bad the pga tour and cbs want to convince you that it does why are we trying so hard to make golf a sport what is this push where is it coming from and what is the end result some garbage playoffs i just don't understand golf doesn't need that there's a reason that the entire spectrum of golf fandom comes together in the spring the jocks, the hip hoppers, the wannabe streetwear guys, the classic guys, the purists, the industry guys, the corpo nerds, the pros, the Joes, everyone. There's a reason why they all come together. It's because Augusta puts it together. That's what golf is. What is all this bullshit after the fact? These limited field events, I didn't even watch Sunday. I watched Saturday for a little bit. Looked like a practice round. There's nobody there. Now, in the end, Sunday, you know, they do a good job of making all those people kind of gather around the green. That's a natural thing. So it made it look a little more pumping than it normally is. Here's the main issue with these limited field events. Throughout the telecast on the days leading up to Sunday, these players are all kind of struggling. For those that don't know this, if you ever go to a PGA Tour event and you just stand in one fairway in the morning and stay there all day and watch the entire field go through, 80% of the field is struggling. Most of them are missing the cut. Most of them are over par. The only thing that the TV show is the good shots. Like if it's a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, if they're going to zoom to who knows, here we got Brent Snedeker on six and you haven't seen a shot from him in all tournament or whatever. And he's got like a 30 foot putt. You're like, well, this is going in. There's a reason why they're showing it is because they got nothing good to show. And so when you when you fast forward, now stay with me here. When you fast forward to these limited field events, it exposes the smoke and mirrors that the tour and the channel performs. They throw a false sense of good golf in front of the viewer's eyes. So these limited field events, all of a sudden you're like, well, everyone's kind of kind of just playing ho-hum. Good for... Hovland, he ran away with it. The guy's on fire right now. And that's what happens in these events is someone just pulls away and that, that's the end of it. And there's not a lot of people coming after him because everyone else is just kind of like ho-humming their way around the golf course. So I know I always sound like a fucking hater, but I mean, that was just a snooze fest, dude. No pizzazz, no umph, no vibe, no charm. 
That was bad. That was like daytime television. It was. And I'm going to tell you a little bit later on why Victor Hovland actually did not run away with it as you light up a aromatic backwoods cigar. Mm. Yesterday, Sunday, final round of allegedly the most important event of the season, the culmination of it all, the biggest names at Eastlake playing for $18 million, and you cannot manufacture any public interest at all because it doesn't matter. And no one remembers this event. No one watches not the way they watch the majors. And hell, I'll even argue that the players' championship generates more organic interest, and so does the genesis, and so does the and waste management. That must be hard for you to say, because I know you're not a big fan of the players' championship. No, I am not. <laughs> but I'm talking about non-majors, where the average golf fan who likes watching the tour will block out a few hours on their weekend to sink into the lazy boy and take in some pro golf. And it's not scientific, but here's how I gauge these things. When the majors are on, the text messages are flying. I've got half a dozen or more continuous conversations going with different people, talking about what's happening on television in real time. And that happens, albeit to a lesser degree, with the aforementioned tournaments like the players, the Genesis, and the Waste Management. But when it's the Tour Championship, and this is supposed to be the Super Bowl of the PGA Tour, it's straight-up crickets. And I'm not saying that I want to even be texting about it. I barely want to be watching it. I was watching it because I knew we were going to talk about it, and I was honestly toggling between that and a Seattle Mariners regular season game because for the first time since 2001, (laughs) my Seattle Mariners are in first place this late in August. So I'm far more invested in that. But here's why this event sucks. For starters, it's a reverse net championship. Not even a net championship. It's a reverse net where the best players are given strokes. And that's not only stupid, it's ass backwards and has no place in the professional game. Yeah, and we talked about that, but yeah, go on. Well, and when you say Victor Hovland ran away with it, I mean, he did on the scoreboard. But in terms of strokes, him and Xander Shoffley tied after four days for the amount of strokes it took them to get around Eastlake Thursday through Sunday. So that should have been. And who is, the, who is the next closest guy in terms of strokes? Wyndham Clark. And how, how many was he behind? Seven shots back. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I would still say Victor, despite all that, he ran away with it in the sense that he played solid enough to not give anyone else a chance and keep his, his foot down. That guy that you just mentioned that tied him shot the round of his life to do so. My point is, is that this Victor guy right now is so hot, you got to shoot a 62 to, to even sniff his cleats. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I, I get what you're saying. I agree with all that. I don't want to take too much away from Hovland because him winning is well-deserved because he smoked the field last week and he earned those points to get that reverse net bullshit fucking strokes. But that being said, just as you put it, he's still tied for first without the strokes. Yeah. So it's like, give him the title, he wins it. You know what I mean? It sure would have been fun to watch those two guys who were playing the rounds of their life go to a playoff. That would have been fun. That would have been great. And you wonder, does Victor's mindset, mentality, and strategy change when he has a four-shot lead that should have been a zero-shot lead? Like, if they're tied, is he playing it different? Is the pressure ratcheted up? Is he making more mistakes because they're tied on the leaderboard, but instead he's got this four-shot lead? I, I, I see what you're saying i i think golf is such a streaky game at every level and especially the pros know this the most that when they're hot they know it's hot they can't wait to just put another club in their mitts hovland's hitting it through a fucking donut hole right now 
Right. The guy is literally playing target fucking golf, and he's rolling it in. I think Xander got hot one round, but dude, I'd bet my house on Hovland taking him in the playoff. I would have loved to have seen it. The yeah. second reason that this event sucks is the staggered scoring to start the event essentially negates 95% of the field before Thursday's first tee shot. Yep. So what are we watching, really? The third reason that it sucks, and we said it last week, playing for the Brinks truck does nothing and means nothing to the average golf fan. I don't care that the uber rich are getting richer. I don't care that first place gets $18 million. Why would it ever matter to me or anyone that someone who lives in a mansion and flies around on private jets and has personal chefs and probably pays less taxes than me somehow just added more zeros to his bank account? So what are we supposed to care about then if not the money? A 15-year-old made-up trophy named after a shipping logistics company? There's just nothing about the tour championship that appeals to any average fan in any way whatsoever. You know what they should do? I think they should revamp the tour championship, get a bunch of social media golf influencers, head on over to Top Golf, have a kickoff party with like skateboard ramps and shit, and just really rile up some young viewers and really just grow this viewership and just really just bring back the glory of the tour championship. What do you think, Hawk? Yeah, that's a great idea. It worked for uh, Top Golf and uh, all those other influencers. It can work. It can work for the tour. <laughs> And finally, the reason why this event sucks, and we said it last week as well, I cannot stand that this goes down as a PGA Tour win just like any other. The field is a quarter of the size of a normal field. It's a reverse net. Only five guys have a realistic chance of winning it. And yet, at the end of the day, this goes down as a PGA Tour win. And I hate to be redundant because I said it last week. And I just said it now that Victor Hovland and Xander actually tied with the amount of strokes they needed over four days. Yet Victor Hovland is going to get a win on his resume. He is a PGA Tour winner for beating out 30 guys, 27 of which didn't have a chance and one of which actually tied him. So this event, I'm happy it's over. I watched it out of obligation. It did absolutely nothing for me. And two things can be true at the same time. Victor Hovland can be the nicest guy on tour and someone that we are all happy to see win, and the tour championship can suck. And guess what? Both those things are true. Yep. I agree. All right. So let's talk about the big three, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no playoff wins between the three of them and only one major this year. These guys were billed as... Powerhouses. Exactly. Just couldn't be beat. But they were... Essentially, no shows. I know Scotty was close at Olympia Fields, but again, uh, his putter let him down. And let's talk about Scotty for a second. This guy was spotted a 10 under start to the tour championship and he couldn't convert. That's two years in a row now he's come in with that 10 under lead and couldn't convert. And I don't care that he's not winning FedEx Cups because they don't matter, but I'm sure he's not happy about that. And the more concerning thing is that he finished dead last in putting this week, and for at least the eighth time this year, his flat stick cost him a tournament. What makes this really interesting is that he's the number one player on the Ryder Cup that's going to go to Rome next month and try to become the first U.S. team in 30 years to win that event on European soil. And as we all know, this is a match play competition. Is Anyone on Team Europe going to give this guy a single putt outside of two feet? Remember 
in recent time, I would say like 10, 15 years ago, there was a spell where Sergio Garcia was so awful at putting that there was actually excitement watching him line up for three footers because everyone's like, oh, he's going to miss it. Miss it. Right. And horseshoe lip outs, three footers, mm-hmm. just one after the other. Like it became a fucking joke where it was like, oh my God, this is almost like betting on roulette. Like he's 50% from three feet. Right. It's like you going black or red. Scotty Scheffler is entering into that conversation right now. It's hard to watch. And I think this is going to be strategy number one discussed in the European locker room. Do not give Scotty Scheffler any single putt. Do not concede anything. Make him make everything. You know what the coach tells the team? Tight lips on Scheffler this week. Yeah, zip it up. Real tight lips. But as you just said, that is going to be fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Just like I was just saying about Sergio, it became entertaining to watch because you're like, he's going to miss it. It sucks that he's our guy and he's representing Team USA. You look at this roster and they never do good over there and you need a fiery coach and good chemistry and I don't know. These guys are all too rich and they're all too, they're just too soft nowadays and I, I would love USA to win, but if I was a betting man, be hard not to bet bet against him. And this is bad timing for a podcast to tape it on Monday when the captain's picks are coming out tomorrow. So everyone is going to watch what Zach Johnson does. The top six in points are automatically on the team. The last six are captain's picks. And there is a huge rumor as you slam your rolling rock onto the table. Hey, it adds to the effects of this. I'm enjoying a nice cigarello, flavored cigarello, banned in the state of California, mm-hmm. and a beautiful old Latrobe 33 extra pale rolling rock in a glass bottle, might have you. Very classy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see who he picks with his last six choices. Let's switch gears to some breaking news. Another golf fashion blog slash account put out a list of the hottest underground brands to watch. And what do you know? Nation Golf, not on the list. The next list that we're on will be the first. That is correct. Now, I believe Hype Golf might have been responsible for this last list. Don't quote me on it, but here's the deal, and it's really quite funny to us. Didn't I dog those guys in one of my videos? Yeah, one of your recent Tips from the Tips videos. I can't remember. Which I've encouraged people to go check out, at Tips from the Tips on Instagram. I believe you were searching for their name and referring to them as Hype Golf McGavin. (laughs) Well, they put out a list of the seven or so hottest brands to watch. And I think it was Hype Golf that was responsible for it. We weren't on the list. We never are. But this is why the whole thing is just funny to us. GQ, Hype Golf, and all the other tastemakers, so to speak, always put out these kinds of lists. And I can count on zero fingers how many times we've been mentioned on them, despite having a big following, lots of sales, and being around since 2008. And that's fine because these posts and these lists – exist to do one thing and one thing only just like every other list before it and that's get engagement the list is such a tried and true way to get traction that buzzfeed made a billion dollars doing it rolling stone has done it forever with the hundred greatest guitarists of all time which is a funny way to define all time when you put that list out every single year 
Yeah. And uh, the point is this. Lists don't exist to make a definite statement. They exist to create buzz and debate. Tag your foursome. If you're on the list, you share the list and take a victory lap in front of a very small crowd. And if you're not on the list, you bitch and moan and tag the brands that you think should be on the list. Just want to make a public service announcement here and a statement from the offices of Ryan Engel. <laughs> I appreciate all of our like core followers, friends, customers tagging our name in the comments of these stupid lists. I, I just want this to be numb. Just leave us off of it. We don't even want to be in the comment section. Let all these kids play. You want to avoid the circus? Ignore the clowns. Leave us off of it. We appreciate the love. Instead, maybe just like share the post to our DMs and just write a fuck these guys or something. We'd appreciate that. But I'd rather our name not be on these lists. I I would rather Hype Golf and GQ and all these clowns just not know us at all. That would be very on brand for me. So that's the end of my announcement, Adam. I hope that suited what you were looking for there. Oh, it was great. And I actually have a list of my own right here in front of me. Top three reasons not being on a hype golf list is cause for celebration. (laughs) Number three, it means that you're not making streetwear and passing it off as golf clothes. Mm. Number two, you're not paying a PR agent because everyone knows these lists are more often than not pay to play. Aren't they all? And the number one reason to celebrate not being on a hype golf list, you don't have to pretend to like it and then repost it. Isn't that the thing? It's like, oh, great. Now I have to play along with this nonsense, this just silly social media universe. It's a love-hate relationship. We have to be on there. We've made some unbelievable connections because of it. Lifelong friends, lifelong customers. We're very appreciative of the positives of what this platform brings. That being said, we are well aware of the negatives and we despise them with all of our heart. Yes, and I actually hope that people disagree with my list so that they will engage with this podcast and share this podcast. Because again, <laughs> that is the entire point of making lists. But very well said. Thank you to everyone that tags us in these. It means that you think we should be on these lists. Again, we don't really care. We find it funny. And being under the radar, off the radar, or violently ignored by these kinds of lists just kind of reinforces the fact to us that we're doing things the way that we want well, to do things. That's why the other week when Hype McGavin posted that thing about Keith Mitchell saving golf fashion or whatever the fuck they said in their article, and it's like, saving it from what? All the shit that you, Hype Golf, have been pushing this entire time? Yeah. Like, did you just kill yourself in the article? Like, I, I don't even understand. Was that a suicide note? I don't know. Moving along, keep us off that list. I am the writer around these parts. I have a writing background and have written at a high level for a couple of different... Hey, hey. I I write good, too. Yeah, you write good. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, if you would let me finish the thought, I am getting to the point that despite the fact that I am the writer around these parts, today you did some damn good creative writing. We have a new vintage section at nationgolf.com, and the vintage section is hand-curated apparel, accessories, and clubs by both of us, mainly Ryan, because he knows what he's doing in this space. And because he knows what he is doing, he writes the product descriptions, 
you had a field day writing up some product descriptions today. We're not going to blow it all here on the podcast. I'm not going to have you read your own material, but I would highly suggest that after you visit the Tips from the Tips Instagram page that you head on over to nationgolf.com and peruse the product descriptions for the new vintage items that we curated over the weekend and just got up on the website. Is it easy for you to to write like this when you're inspired? I, I would say so, yeah. Whenever you got like positive mojo going, like you're excited about something or you just, you do better work. When you're forced to be creative or just like there's a deadline for something, it's like, okay, here you go. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I asked you to prepare for this podcast and uh, write up some topics, and you do no such thing. So I told you I went over some stuff in my head, though. Yeah, that's that's huge. I appreciate you taking mental notes. Yeah, despite the fact that I text you relentlessly over the weekend asking you to bring in material. The uh, longer the text, the more I skim read. So if you want to get through to my brain bullet points really work for me. Yeah, except this morning when I wrote a very long text on the cockroaches, and then you wrote a very long text back telling me to go home. Uh, <laughs> Lars <laughs> Lars Lewis, our good friend, for those of you that don't know, Lars Lewis is a very unique, one-of-a-kind, special human being who we love and we consider family. He's from Buffalo, came out to Southern California for a little bit, ingratiated himself dearly to the Nation Golf family. He is like a brother to Ryan and I. He's back in Buffalo now, and this guy sends text messages to you and I on a regular basis. And the text messages are, in my opinion, just very funny because they're sometimes completely out of left field, and you'll have to pardon the pun for this, but he texted me about the Little League World Series over the weekend. I don't know what grown man gives one hell of a damn about the Little League World Series, especially to the point where you would pick up your phone and text another grown man about it. But he texted me something like, boy, these kids from Seattle sure can hit the ball, you know. And I'm like, Lars, I'm, I'm not watching the Little League World Series, <laughs> nor should you, because the Little League World Series is the worst sporting event ever. And it just finished up yesterday, and some kids from our backyard in El Segundo won the whole damn thing, I'm told, because it's been posted a million times on social media. I think I left my wallet in El Segundo. Did you? The reason why I can't stand the Little League World Series, and then we're going to move off of it, but I'm specifically doing this for Lars. The strike zone is 15 feet wide. If you just get the ball anywhere near the plate, the umpire is going to give you a strike. Half the kids on every team are at least 24 years old. Yeah. And then the fence is being 150 feet. My, my God. And those bats are big, hollow, and hot. Yes. You know? Aluminum corked on steroids. Sounds like my Callaway Steelhead 5, dude. So, yeah, I, I saw that highlight of the kid hitting the, the walk-off home run yesterday. He barely got aluminum on it, and the thing went to Mars. And I'm like, you know what? I'm so happy that the Little League World Series is done. Yeah. And, Lars, I'm sorry that I never texted you back about that, but now you know why. I just want to add that at the top, you guys can rewind to get there, but at the top, I just want to make this point here that you described Lars as special? Yeah. You called him special? Yeah. Okay. What are you inferring? <laughs> Nothing. I love Lars. <laughs> Lars is a, he is special. We describe special things. Lars, don't the- listen to him, man. Just don't listen to him. Keep the text flowing, brother. Lars, I love you. Yes, please do keep the text flowing. Sorry that I don't text back about the Little League World Series. 
Over the weekend, I was thinking to myself how you and I have lived two very different vocational lives. In fact, I don't know a lot about your past when it comes to working in this world, whether it be for yourself or for somebody else, but I'm pretty sure that while I have had a boss most of my entire working life, you haven't had one for quite some time. And I started thinking this would be pretty informative for people to get to know you and me by going over the jobs that we have had in our lives. And this is something that I asked you to prepare. So are you able to speak on all of the jobs that you've had up until this point? Yeah. Yeah. You want me to do that right now? No, I want you to do it next episode. <laughs> My God, yes. Would you uh, Would you please entertain the viewers by paying off the question? Well, I've been, ironically, I've been working since I was 11. Could have been 10, actually. My dad, my late father, Big Rich, shout out to Big Rich, the gentle giant. He had a carpet cleaning business, sole proprietor. When you're a kid, you think that like, school's out, I'm going to go hang out with my folks, and it's like... Your folks work, you idiot. <laughs> you know, like they don't get summers off. So I started working with my dad and we would clean carpets. And I realized this recently that I have this thing that I do. I do it everywhere I go. I have this habit where if I'm at a friend's house, a family member's house, anyone where I'm comfortable just kind of like being somewhere, it could be a business, anything. I go to the refrigerator and I open it and I just look around. And some people get weird about it. Well, this stems from working with my dad every summer. So what we would do is he would have a couple jobs a day and we had the system down where we'd move furniture and then lay down the compound. He would scrub, I would edge. Then we'd have a little downtime where we had to let the compound dry and then we'd vacuum it up and then move the furniture back. Well, there were certain things that I couldn't do because I was a little kid and there's certain things he could do because he's the dad, you know? And so we had this system down because the faster we got through these two or three houses was the faster we could go down to Blackie's and surf. If we could bust it out and be done by noon, we're at the beach till six till my mom gets home and we're just living large, you know, and my dad loved it too. So it was like this thing we shared. So we fucking hustled. The refrigerator thing comes from this is in between those steps, we would raid people's pantries. And this is also, I think, where I learned how to be like kind of a freelance chef. If you found a can of tuna in, in the pantry, they're not going to know that's missing. And you throw a little mayo in the mix, they're not going to know a couple spoonful of mayo is gone. And a couple slices of bread out. And if there wasn't a lot of bread left, we'd taco it. And so I just learned how to like open up a fridge, evaluate my strategy, and just like take without leaving a footprint. If we walked into your house right now, I would go right to your fridge and I would open it up and I would just take a long, slow gander at, at what you got going in there. It's interesting to me because as a kid, I'd be pulling a chair over, sliding it across the kitchen, looking in the pantry, looking in the fridge, and whipping my dad up a thing. We ate a lot of PB&Js, because you could take jelly and peanut butter, and they're not going to know. Every other Friday, we would clean the carpets in this bank in Corona Del Mar. It was after hours, so they would lock it up, and I could go and like play in the vault. The vault wasn't open, but the room that had the vault, I'd go play in there, but they had this lunch room in there, and boy, that was fancy. That wasn't like someone's home refrigerator. There was a lot of good stuff going on there. A little drink station, the whole nine yards. And we would just have a field day. The second job was I started working at Killer Dana Surf Shop 
when I was uh, 14 under the table for a couple years, and I worked there until my senior year of high school. And by that time, I was one of the youngest guys who managed the shop. So I handled Sundays so that the owners could have a day off, and I ran the register, helped make the schedule. I was I wanted more and more responsibility because it was kind of like I was earning my stripes. I think what I got most out of that those three or four years working for KD was they had a group of older guys that ran the place that were all in their 30s at the time, and they had all grown up together, and they were just violent shit talkers. And I had to learn not only to have thick skin, but how to fight back. And I think that's where I get a lot of my negative attributes. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. For a quick summer, I parked cars at the Ritz-Carlton because a friend of mine was like, oh, we're going to go there and make a lot of money and this and that and the other. And that job fucking sucked. That was the first time I was in an environment where there was just like a corporate bureaucracy and pecking order, bullshit, don't talk back to this guy. This guy gets away with it because he's been here the longest. Like, just dumb stuff. There was a couple good guys. I met some lifelong friends there, but it was lame. And then I just wanted out. And at that point, there wasn't a spot for me to come back to Killer Dana. And so I, I went down the street and worked for the Baneys at Infinity Surf Shop. And at the time, we had just become good friends um, with their oldest son, Dave. And we started a band together and, and it just made sense. And I probably learned the most in my life working for that family. They have a long treasured history in the surf community. They taught me how to shape. They taught me how to manage. They taught me how to be a buyer. But more importantly, they just, they they taught me the kind of family vibe of doing things. I have so much love for them and appreciation for them helping me become who I am. And then after that, we ventured into this business linked to that, but outside of it in partnering up in this big surfboard factory up the hill. And that's where I launched my own brand and started doing the tournament. I worked alongside them for a number of years, and then we eventually went our own ways. Ever since that, I've just been on my own building my surf brand and my golf brand. That's pretty much it. Let's recap, because you ate up the time like you ate up people's refrigerators when you're supposed to be cleaning their carpets. (laughs) But you just defamed your dad as a thief, and unfortunately, he's not here to defend himself. Rest in peace, Big Rich. What a guy. Well, he didn't um, steal. I did. I'm on the receiving end of all the shit talk and verbal abuse you learned from some surf goons, and you don't like authority because of a valet parking job. To my defense, the guy, Scott, I can't remember his last name, he was the outside services boss at the Ritz. The guy was such a dickhead. And he was such a cheese dick schmoozer guy, super passive aggressive, controlling. Well, it turns out years go by and we all smelt it, but no one could do anything. This guy was peeling from the pot for years and finally got fired. So he was a crook. Yeah, I did learn that I hate authority, but it's because that guy was a pile of bolts, dude. I'll run down mine a lot faster than that. My very first job was being a Tony Roma's busboy. You remember Tony Roma's, the house of ribs? You've never seen a sadder plate than when they walk out and put it in front of you at Tony Roma's. I can envision no worse busboy job than at a rib house where (laughs) (laughs) everyone's napkin looks like a war zone. I don't know, dude. If you're at like IHOP, syrup, you bring syrup. Yeah, and kids. I would say syrup's a a first, Tony Roma's a close second. Yeah, yeah. I also worked as a lot attendant, a car salesman, and a service advisor at a Toyota dealership in Washington. I was a busboy at the finest oyster house in Seattle, 
I was a manager at an ice cream store, a pizza delivery boy, a grocery delivery boy, then recently worked in radio for 15 years, jumped out of that. How did you get that job? Which one? The radio job. I want to talk to the person that looked at your resume and went, wow, this stoner had 15 stoner jobs. Yeah, delivery boy, a lot of tendon, all that stuff. It was an internship that got me started, and I just applied for it because I was absolutely in love as a kid with AM radio and the theater of mind and eavesdropping in on other people's conversations. My parents used to listen to conservative talk radio in the car all the time, and I had no idea what they were talking about and don't really care, but I grew up on listening to talk radio. So when a sports radio internship came up, I went for that, and then it stuck for 15 years. And then recently now, I edit for magazine for the SCGA. Would it be fair to say that you, my friend, are a self-made man? I don't know. Maybe. I have had so much help in networking along the way. And unlike you, I've had a boss the entire time. You haven't. You haven't had a boss for a long time. And I think that's why you and I approach the vocational parts of our lives differently. And that's neither good nor bad. It's just interesting being around you and your wife who own your own brands and do your own thing. You can leave every night knowing no one's going to text me telling me what to do. No one's going to demand a response to an email. And that's not to say that there isn't responsibility with owning your own stuff. In fact, there's probably way there's, more. There's, there's more, but it's just different. It's yeah. different. Yeah. It's different. And it's nice to have the freedom to call your own shots. It's way riskier. It's way scarier. But there is a part of it where it's like, I don't have to answer to anyone. And I think that's why having a small business is so ingrained in the American dream, working for yourself. And ever since coming over here, I've gotten a taste of that. And it's amazing. It's, it's the best. But yeah, I was just curious about what you've done before this. I never knew you had a boss. Come to find out you had one and you hated him. Well, I had bosses at the surf shops. Okay, fair enough. But they were just verbally abusing you and teaching you how to talk shit later in life so you could do it to me. And now I'm on the receiving end of all of that. It's called tough love, Adam. Yeah. And I guess you can't say tough love without love, right? Yeah. So we learned a lot today. We learned that we don't like the tour championship. We learned that we love Victor Hovland. We learned that watching Scotty Scheffler have to make every putt at the Ryder Cup is actually going to be very fun. We hope that you learned that we really enjoy not being included on these lists that these hype influencers put out about the newest, coolest up-and-coming golf brands. And we also learned that Ryan and his dad used to steal food from houses that they were cleaning carpets at. Yeah. You know, the 80s were a wonderful time. What a great, great iPod broadcast. Mm. I'm glad we could bounce back from this morning where I took out my cockroach rage on you. And again, I apologize for that. You were like the Terrell Hatton of business partners this morning. Thank you so much for listening to The Fellowship. As always, we will be back next week. Probably not a lot of pro golf to talk about, but if Ryan does his homework and writes down some ideas, we will somehow figure it out. I'll work it out in my head.